from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. It's a tiny house podcast. And I'm Perry. And I'm MJ. And this is Mark. Welcome everybody to the show. We're just doing that thing, Welcome aren't you? Welcome everybody to the show. I don't know where that came from. I don't know. It was just spontaneous. A <laughs> operatic thing going on there. Sorry, You combine the word spontaneity and spontaneous uh-huh. and spontaneitis. I don't know what I said. Call Webster. <laughs> Tweet Call that. Webster. Tweet that out. So it's... I almost said something with a time reference. <laughs> um, <clears throat> There's one, one lamppost on the highway, and that's what you hit. That's exactly. <laughs> Can we talk about toilets this morning? Sure, let's talk, let's about, talk toilets. about toilets. Can we talk Maybe. about toilets this morning? <laughs> As <clears throat> you know, I just bought a 48 <clears throat> square foot tiny house. Yes. To offer on Airbnb. And uh, it is not. It won't have hot water. It's not large enough for a bathroom. So I does it have a hot water maker? Does it like have that pot that you can put water in? And correct. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Hot yeah. Pot. Yeah. What's that called? Yep. Instapot. Instapot. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, is, it, is it just basically a honey bucket? Is that what you? <laughs> <laughs> I thought convert. you were talking about the water heater yeah, no, thing. The whole no, thing. Yeah, the whole thing. Like, That's when it hit me. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Michelle. It's, it's okay. I was brainstorming names yeah. on Facebook, and that one funny didn't come up. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, back to toilets, people. Yes, but um, I would like to put some sort of very simple, at least, toilet on the inside, so they don't have to go outside the middle of the night to do yeah. their business. So, per my normal process, I went on Craigslist. List and then I googled and I found a guy <clears throat> that builds the <coughs> sorry <clears throat> the framed boxes. They have a, a toilet seat on top and he built the frame boxes. He put the five gallon bucket in. Oh, perfect! So that it looks really nice. Actually, he builds them out of TNG and everything. What's they look website? really really nice. Maybe we should have he, him on the show. We are going to have him on the show. Oh, we are? He oh, doesn't awesome. have a website. Oh. Um, interestingly <laughs> enough, well, that's just because he's like this one-off guy that, that helps people um, convert their schoolies. Um, he's got some fun stories, though. Anyways, Anyways, so I go to meet him and come to find out he's this, you know, tiny house guy. And we had a great conversation. Super fun. But... I've decided that I'm going to try this in my tiny house before I put it in that tiny house because I want to see... Try it before you buy. Exactly. Where's the pee go? Into the diaper. Oh, my goodness. Really? So, seriously. so That's this a pretty is, good idea, actually. Actually, this is the, this is the, like, the aha moment. I was at Glamping a couple of weekends ago, and a lot of the women have them. In their little glampers, because women, old women, definitely getting up in the middle of the night, do not want to get dressed and traipse their way, you know, across the wet grass to go potty in the middle oh, of the night. Okay. So a lot of the little glampers have them, and have you them what little, you know, basically luggable loos, five gallon toilets in their in their glampers. Oh, I see. Okay. And the the aha moment is, you either take a baby diaper or a PP pad that they make for pets. Yes. You put that down in the bag first. So you got a bucket and now you have a compostable bag. Yeah. And you put the pee pad or the 
diaper down first, yeah. and then you put the sawdust on top of that. It is amazing. Wait a second. So, so this is a one unit thing. Right. The, the the pee goes through the sawdust into the diaper. Correct. Do you dispose of the diaper separate from the sawdust bag? No. The whole thing you just you know you just take it up and tie the top of the knot, put it in the garbage can, and then your next bag is right there. It's already got the pad in it and the sawdust. You kind of like make it in layers. You do some prep work, right? So you put a bag, pee pad, sawdust, bag, pee pad, sawdust. So bag, each pee time pad. you take a bag out, there's a bag underneath ready to go. Exactly. Bag, pee pad, sawdust. So the so the how many how many peas can you can that bag sustain before it gets weird? Well, so far, oh, it's weird mine. Right now. <laughs> it's weird as hell. I'm so sorry, Sharon. Uh, anyway, sorry. Back to it. Great opening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, where the poo goes is like the number two conversation in the tiny house movement. So I thought somebody right. might be interested. Right. I was fascinated. So I have been using it now for five days with, uh, and I have absolutely zero smell. Well, it's interesting Not because. Not even kidding. Wow. Because I've got in my under the radar, you know what? Yes. I have a, <laughs> a box with a bucket under in it and, and I have a. Uh, I've created my own urine diverter Correct. from an oil, a plastic oil funnel that you use to right. replace oil in your mm-hmm. car. And it runs down a, a tube, which I got from a sailboat store, into an old plastic um, detergent bucket. Right. You guys are just way too Thunderdome. <laughs> <laughs> We'd survive, bitch. <laughs> just going straight to the pens. I think that would be a better deal anyway. And so oh. this 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 uh, this soap bo- this soap bucket can can carry three days of pee, pretty much like a composting toilets container. Yeah. But um, my wife complains when she comes in that the place smells like urine. I can't smell it. Right. Um, and so I'm wondering, and it, it's also kind of a pain to empty the well. The bucket can go every almost every month, pretty much two and a half right. three weeks maybe. Right. But the 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 pee thing has to go every three days. Right. And it, it is a little bit of a hassle because sometimes I, I almost forget, and if it if I forget, it'll overflow into right. the space, right? right? So if if this can work, I mean, I mean, like right now, my all my bags go into the garbage anyway. It's not right. like I'm composting, right? Well, the other thing too is I'm I'm because I'm expanding my village, and because my work schedule is getting so insanely busy, mm-hmm. I have to hire a cleaner. And I think it's just going to be oh, yeah. so much easier, easier for me. Not only the instructions from the people that are can come stay. Um, but also the instructions for the cleaner. Like I said, you can prep this thing and do like five or six bags and yeah. prep it all. And so the cleaner, all they have to do is just, you know, bag it up, bag it up and take it. And then the next one is already prepped and sitting there. Um, anyways, I thought the old ladies had a gr- brilliant idea by using, you know, either adult diapers or baby diapers or pee pads, whatever's on sale, basically. Yeah. The adult diapers uh, or even just the baby diapers, a good idea. How much, how much, how much do you? Personal question coming. How much do you pee in a day? Oh my god! Because I the reason why I'm asking is because I drink <laughs> I drink 80, 80 ounces. Yeah, I drink 20, two twenty ounces of water in the morning and then two twenty ounces in the afternoon. Right, and I'm peeing all the time. Yes, I am too. I want to say probably six to eight times a day. Yeah, me too. But I also take medication, which makes me pee a lot. So that's too bad. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So it's got the. That's too personal. It, I'm just it, kidding. <laughs> It absorbs, it deodorizes, right? That's true, right? Because it absorbs and it holds it there and it deodorizes. And it also, the liquid actually doesn't actually permeate the sawdust. I'm going to have to try this. I'm telling you. Hmm. I'm going to have to try it. (laughs) 
Mark is gonna kick us off our the own only, show. The only thing that might dis- derail this for me <laughs> is that the anatomy of a guy, right? The pee and the poo come out in such a such a there's such a big gap ge- geographically. There's a gap, okay. And so, <laughs> but but guys will can my use pee, this. I get no, but guys can use this toilet like they use normal ones. You flip up the lid. I prefer not to stand, but I oh. guess you could. Yeah. Mm. See, that's the other advantage too is I don't have to tell my male <laughs> guests in my it. Airbnb. I know, I know, I know. Sorry, that's we okay. can stop now. No, it's okay. Are the bags you use eco friendly? Yes. Very. Eco yes, they friendly. are. They're compostable. Like an eco bag. <laughs> Good transition. <laughs> Probably not the kind of bags that our guests sell. Well, and she puts good shit in her yes, stuff. Exactly. Oh my god! All right. Okay. okay. Oh, my, <laughs> oh, my teeth are sweating. Gosh. <laughs> oh. So we do have a guest today, and she's not in the shitter <laughs> like this conversation. Yeah. Yes. And neither is her business, actually. I was just no. so excited. I couldn't, I, I couldn't resist. Right. It's all good. So we have um, an entrepreneur with us today, uh, Sharon Rowe, the owner of a company called EcoBags. Um, we, she has, I'm hoping she has some really great stories because she's been around for a long time with this company. And as the name implies, she sells bags that replace bags that end up um, polluting our, our world, plastic bags particularly. And uh, I've took a look at her website and it's, Pretty cool the bags she has, and in fact, it it's it's. I'm just amazed that she's able to make such a good living selling these things because it seems like those kind of bags are ubiquitous, ubiquitous now. So let's have her answer that question. Oh wait, and what, what? author of the book of the new book. Oh, she's right? got a new book. Yeah, That's right. The magic of tiny magic business. Of tiny, which you is, don't have to go big to make a great living. Exactly. So welcome to the show, Sharon. Thank you, thank you. I'm just sitting here trying to see how I can do another segue from shit to... (laughs) 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 My daughter daughter lives in a tiny house, but it's really a trailer, and she just goes in the woods, so... There you go, okay, well, that's (laughs) the... But she is 26, so, you know, know, the old lady thing doesn't really apply. (laughs) (laughs) But when we visited her recently, we did not stay in the trailer. We, We got an Airbnb close by. Nice. What kind of trailer does she have? Um, a little one. I don't know. Oh, okay. It's an older one. She's. It's actually quite brilliant. She's an engineer, civil engineer, and she said, well, why should I pay rent if I can live on Bureau of Land Management land for free, you know, <laughs> 10 months out of the year? And this, and and she And she loves it. And, and um, she has a boyfriend now, and he has a van, which also they can travel in and sleep in. So they basically are rent-free. Nice. That's, uh, I yeah. think that's fantastic. Yeah, and then they have you know they have uh, memberships to local gyms for showering and mm-hmm. and when it's warm they just go into local creeks and whatnot. So, <laughs> what is she's a civil engineer? What does he do? Uh, he's also a civil engineer. Oh, so they're nice. both professionals, and but they just decided to, you know, skip the rent part and live on beautiful land, you know, uh, with unobstructed views and no neighbors. Yeah, that's wonderful. And that's in New York. Yeah. No, oh, gosh, no. <laughs> yeah. oh, I was wondering. I was going to ask. Unobstructed land in New York. <laughs> exactly. <New York>. No. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, it's in, out in Flagstaff, Arizona. Oh, that's beautiful location. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And, and she grew up, you know, our house is pretty environmentally focused. So, um, you know, they make as little waste as possible. And, oh, there's a tie-in. Waste, see? There you <laughs> go. <laughs> she don't need no diapers. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> how is, how yeah. is your house environmentally uh, friendly? Well, their house is. I mean, my house is also. I mean, we have solar panels on our house for the last uh, 
gosh, 10 plus years and we use a pellet stove. But we live just outside New York City. So we're in Metro New York and we have a 1928 um, medium sized house, certainly not tiny. I mean, we have two floors, you know, when we have the old balloon frame um, uh, construction. So we can't even put in any insulation, but the balloon frame, the air keeps, you know, warms up and insulates the house in the winter. But when it gets really cold, we have to put the oil burner on. So, I mean, you know, those zero degree degrees and below zero, it's, yeah. it's a little chilly. Yeah. If you've had solar panels for 10 <clears throat> years, then you were on the mm -hmm. cutting edge. Yeah, we were actually. Um, I mean, about 10 years ago, we got featured, my business did, EcoBags on Oprah. And we were one of those Oprah windfalls where we uh, went from being a really under the radar business to Hello, I want, you know, I, I want to go green, you know, phone calls coming in from all over of uh, the country. And we tripled in size and there was a nice cash cow there. So um, my husband said, let's put solar panels on the house. And at that point, there were a lot of incentives in New York State. So we did it really um, financially. We made out really well. And I think we're almost at zero cost for our electricity. You know, it takes yeah. X number of years to pay off the solar panels, even with the um, all the different tax rebates and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and so right now, all we and we do net metering, so we feed back into the meter. Yeah. And except for when my grown children come home and leave all the lights on, um, we do <laughs> really, <laughs> we do really well. And I, th I think I think our only charge for electric is like thirty bucks a month, and that's just the carrying charge. Well, what does your husband do? Uh, he's a music teacher. He oh. teaches music for pre-K uh, through fifth grade at a private school in the Bronx. And he also is a songwriter. And he has um, on iTunes, I'll do a pitch. He's got a ongoing podcast every Wednesday night called Piano Meditations. Uh, because he's classically trained pianist also with a lot of jazz. Um, and so he sits down at his Steinway Grand in the living room and just plays for 45 minutes. Starts at 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And you can find him on Facebook Aww. Live. Yeah, it's really nice. It's just, you know, it's solo piano a la Keith Jarrett um, in that kind of style. He just goes wherever it takes him. What's your husband's name? Blake Rowe, B-L-A-K-E, Rowe, R-O-W-E. Blake Rowe, okay. Yeah, because we both started out as actors and musicians in the city, um, but then had to figure out how to make a living, so. <laughs> Starving artist wasn't available. Oh, that, yeah. Which, is what led, yeah, which is what led me to building this, what I now call a tiny business, because we, you know, I sort of picked that, um, you know, reusable bags is my entry into making a living and having a lot of time uh, raising my family, etc. Your husband's handsome. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So how did you, how did you, uh, what is so funny about that? Can't I acknowledge a handsome guy when I see him? No, you yes. can. He's a handsome no, guy. No, I just love the research during the podcast oh, thing that we always yeah, yeah, do. Exactly. Like, I can't do it because you'll hear me clicking on my phone. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. I can't be distracted. I can't be like shopping on Rural I just love our aha <laughs> moments in general. Uh -huh. um, so, so how did you, how did you end up starting this, this tiny company of yours? You know, I just started out. Uh, because I was an actress and I like to say I filled seats, but not my bank account. And I had just had a baby. Yeah. And, um, I was doing pretty well as an actor, but I wasn't really making a living. Um, that's pretty normal. And I didn't also want to do commercials and things for products I didn't believe in. Uh, back then there were a lot of pharmaceutical and cigarette commercials and whatnot. Mm. So, and then I was really tired of seeing all the single use plastics on the street. And that was in 1989. So 28 years ago. 
Whew. And I was inspired by Pete Seeger, who, um, you know, is from the Hudson Valley. He was at the very front end of the EPA and the cleaning up rivers and oceans and whatnot. And he's, he noticed how disgusting the Hudson River was. And we lived down the Hudson River, not just from plastic pollution, but from everything. And he said, well, gee, nobody's paying attention to this. So if I build a boat, they'll come down to see the boat. And when they come down to see the boat, they'll see the river and they'll want to clean it up. Hmm. So somehow... That entered my consciousness along with I didn't really want to work that hard. And I thought, oh, I'll start a business because, <laughs> <laughs> because I was completely clueless. I was completely and utterly clueless. Um, but I thought I can do this. I was an actor. I know how to make things up. Um, so I made it up from the very beginning. And this is all pre-internet, too. It's um, the classic fake it till you make it story, yeah. right? Or, yeah, or totally fake it, fake it till you make, you make it. it. Yeah. You know, and I tested the idea. You know, it's not like I sat on my computer and tested it. I went around in Manhattan and knocked on doors and said, would you be interested in this concept of reusable bags? And then I stuck with it for about 14 years. Well, hang on um, a second. Hang on a second, Sharon. So when you knocked on yes. the... Tell me some stories about knocking on the door and what did you have in your hand? Did you have something in your hand to show people? And what did, would they, what did they say back then? Oh, yeah. Um, well, what I Hippie. did have in my hand were those traditional net shopping bags that you see in France and Germany and right. Spain, whatever. Mm -hmm. I had some friends get me some. I, I'd seen them in Europe a bunch of years earlier when I was just, you know, tromping around Europe as a, you know, 20 something person. Um, you know, we used to <laughs> three months on $3,000. It was probably even less. Who knows? Um, just sleeping in trains and whatnot. Um and so I had those bags and I would walk into stores and I'd say, hey, I have this idea. What if people brought their own bags and they didn't have to leave with one of these, uh, you know, plastic bags? And I got a range of responses from, huh, <laughs> to cool, you know. <laughs> and then I started using the bags myself in our local groceries um, in delis. And I noticed that a lot of people were looking at me and they would engage me and say, where'd you get that? That's a good idea. So... With just that little bit of encouragement and sort of the idea that I bet you this could catch on, I um, uh, did a Earth Day fair in Manhattan, and it just turned out to be um, some big anniversary. It might have been the 10th anniversary of Earth Day, which had never been on my radar before. Um, I did that on 6th Avenue. We sold out in four hours and made like five grand. Um, in fact, my mom went missing and she had the money belt. We were like, where's mom? She's gonna <laughs> <laughs> she, went, she went to pee. So <laughs> did she really? <laughs> nice tie-in. Um, yeah, thank you. So she came back and we were like, oh, I think we're on to something. Uh, yeah, so think? that's when we then, yeah, so we reinvested the money in buying more inventory the initial order which we got from germany because back then you had a fax and actually li literally knock on doors to say you know uh, we'd like to make these um can you make them for us nobody was making them in the u.s by the way nobody at all hmm. um and so we you know filled up our hallway with boxes lots and lots and lots of boxes we had to move the bikes uh, no room for the strollers anymore um and I got busy making phone calls, and I very naturally slid into the natural products industry. And the way that happened was my husband was taking the bags to our local natural products store where we bought some of our groceries, which I wouldn't even go into because they were just awful stores. This is way pre-Whole Foods or any kind of merchandise stuff, hmm. just, you know, dirty, dusty bins. And the guy unloading the truck said, oh, what's that? And he said, oh, this is our brand. It's eco bags. And we think people should stop using single-use plastic bags because that's the gateway to stopping all sorts of other plastic, single-use plastic waste. 
Um, and he said, oh, I'm interested in that. And he brought that back to his um, headquarters, which was Stowe Mills, which was the largest natural products distributor um, at that point in the U.S. They've since then been absorbed. And so then we were in the natural products industry. So we were then walking the aisles and going to trade shows of all the brands you know and love today, like Ben & Jerry, Stonyfield Yogurt, Earthborn, Earthbound um, Farms, um, you know, just name a natural brand, Annie's. Um, and we found a much more receptive audience there. And people said, wow, really? Single-use plastic, it's cheap. I can give it away. And we said back in 1989, no, actually, it's going to cost you something. There's a cost for cleanup. There's an environmental cost. Well, nobody had stats on this until maybe even like, what, 10 years ago is when it really started hitting the news and Al Gore um, came out with, you know, inconvenient truth and all that sort of stuff. So, And now we're we figuring were, out how to clean out all the plastics. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And since we started, it's only gotten worse. Right. Way yeah. worse. I mean... So even back then, though, people would come up to us and we, you know, we we're just this, we were really tiny. Um, we, uh, we got a quote from Seth Godin that said, tiny is mighty, right? Mm -hmm. We were this tiny company. And what we took out a double booth at the trade show. So everybody thought we were big. <laughs> 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 you know, so we had all these people even coming up to us going, eh, this will never work. Nobody's ever going to do this, blah, 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 blah. And we were like, we were just patient. So sort of patient capitalism, patient um, commerce, patient business, whatever you want to do. And we did everything guerrilla. We did everything with less. You know, we just went guerrilla on all of our marketing and all of our sales. And we hung out until people came around to us. And that's when we went from, you know, under a million to way over a million. And then, you know, stretching, you know, contracting and expanding since. Um, so that's where I came up with Tiny. It's the idea that you can start with a very focused, intentional idea, a very specific idea that's about more than just selling or making products or services. Um, you can create something that can generate a culture shift because it's not about the thing or the service. It's about the bigger thing that it's about, which for us was cleaning up the planet one bag at a time. And to that end, we, we saw our competitors as uh, cooperation. They, you know, we didn't want to knock out our competitors. We'd rather work with them uh, to get this movement off the ground than, you know, just try to own the entire space. That's awesome and, and inspiring. I have this um, entity that I'm doing, uh, Copiosis, that's about replacing capitalism worldwide. And it's inspiring to hear <clears throat> what you did with bags and the patience that you took and the time that it took because it does it you know there's no such thing as this overnight success idea right and so no, it's 28 years yeah i'd mm -hmm. love to hear about that patient capital because i'm actually really really interested in that and i'm part of a number of different groups you know b corporation we mm -hmm. just got best for the world um mm -hmm. since 2012 or 13 um social venture network i mean this is where a lot of these big ideas connect mm -hmm. um women presidents organization and that's mostly for women in with businesses over a million dollars and more recently elevate and what Elevate is doing is they have a hashtag called Disrupt Money. Mm. And it's more specific to women and how they approach money and how they have to just get much more real, put it on the table, see how it works, use it as a tool, understand it as a tool. But this whole idea of disrupting capitalism and putting our money into good works, things that support good works while getting a return, right? You don't have to go the nonprofit route and sacrifice and, you know, all of that. 
you can you can use your capital to create the change you want to see in the world and that's kind of like what i talk about in the book too is you can use your business to be a platform for the change that you want to see in the world and that's where it's tiny that's where the focus is that's where it aligns with like um tiny houses which is less is more you know if you live in a tiny house because Honestly, I did. I lived in an apartment in Manhattan. You can't get much tinier, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we had a rule: something can, comes in, something goes out. Right? right. Yeah. Exactly. You yeah. know, you don't have, you don't need, you can't even get um, storage sheds in Manhattan. You know, <laughs> you don't have the option. I houses. guess you can get storage boxes that you then have to drive to. And I actually know people who do that, and you think, what? Yeah. You're storing your shit because you're avoiding it. Right. Right. Um, um, but you know. The idea that less is more, and if you don't buy it, you don't have to make it to buy it. You know, the, I want to say also that I was that I'm also sitting here very inspired by the concept that you would actually sort of wait for them to come to you, yeah. right? There's there's this not this hard push. This mm-hmm. even though it started as kind of a door to door salesman perspective. There was no desperation, you know, there was, hey, I got this great idea so much so I'm going to use it. I'm going to talk to the people in line at the grocery store and kind of wait for everybody to have that aha moment and and come to you. I love that concept. It's a way more less controlling, um, yeah, which I learned, I learned that lesson like every day. Mm-hmm. Take a step yeah, back. Mm-hmm. It's attraction marketing versus push marketing, which is really where we've come around a lot. And the internet, except the internet's so distracting, who can, you know. Right. Um, but it, I, you know, I was patient because I, because a couple things. One is I, I had a young family and I wanted to spend my time with them. Now, that does not mean that I had kids running around when I was working. I had, you know, daycare. <laughs> Let's face it. It's really hard to generate um, the kind of income I did with you know kids running around with scissors not to mention that's a little dangerous um but i also really focused on and wasn't always that happy with right the fact of living with less you know my husband was a musician and a teacher i was an actor and this you know small business person um which morphed into you know tiny as the concept but we knew the minimum we needed to live on we had that as our we knew what our you know our rent and back then we had to pay for um our own insurance um, for years, you know, and a lot of people have to do that now. And we, you know, made dinners at home and we brought lunches to work when we went away. And when we went on trips, we, you know, made things. We just, we did things sort of in an old thrifty kind of way. Mm-hmm. And we lived within our means. Mm-hmm. We lived within our means so much so that we took a lot of great vacations. The other you know, aha um, moment. Sorry, keep going. Yeah. So, I was gonna say, so we knew how to we knew how to we knew how to budget even though we never created a formal budget the other aha moment i had um when you were talking was i think that people that live in small spaces almost like inherently appreciate the environment more because mm-hmm. it's the fact that we're so much more connected to it we're so much more um aware like you said everything in everything out i don't have to I mean, I can see the weather, you know, 24-7. Like, I have this connectedness to my space. If there is a bug in my space, I see it, I hear it, I feel it. Um, So, again, I sort of never had that epiphany before that the tiny house movement, you know, it's about people wanting to live with less, but I think it also just automatically, inherently just connects us more to our environment because of the fact that we're so much closer 
to it and in it. I was talking to a my Airbnb host or guest yesterday, and they were talking about how much more time they spend outside on the deck. You know, we right. just yeah, right. I think it really goes to the conversation of what's enough, right? And and what's rich. And that's, those are all very personal conversations that we don't have with ourselves enough because culture interrupts us all the time and says, go big or go bust. And then, you know, with technology um, and all the, the tech companies that the culture of tech companies is, you know, scale, 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 scale. And I say spawn, <laughs> you know, have great ideas and let other people copy them because they love how they love seeing how you live your life. And this is not disconnected from reality. Reality is, I mean, I live in Metro New York. There's an income level I have to be at in order to just even do things right. I'm not this is not starving myself. This is actually living richer, but with less. Mm-hmm. It's interesting the 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 whole notion of of simplification and living small and now we're talking about these tiny um, businesses allows people to slow down and in the slowing down um, I don't like the idea I don't like the concept of patience because it feels like you're in the in the act of being patient you're forcing yourself to putting up with put something. up with mm-hmm. the lack of results that you would rather have sooner. It's more like relaxing into the flow and know, like you're saying, Sharon, that that sooner or later, everyone was going to catch up with you. And when you're doing these kind of things that can have a really big impact, you really, there is to some degree a need to be able to find that place within you where you can just be at peace with where you are now while at the same time realizing that the change is happening even though even when you can't see it that's it yeah that's interesting because what i found i mean in a, a really important piece about tiny business which also relates to tiny house is that it, there's a discipline involved mm-hmm. and and there's a structure right the the physical structure of a tiny house is the size of it right well the physical structure of a tiny business is perhaps the structure of your how you structure your time you know, you decide to leave at five o'clock every day, mm. not work on weekends or in the evening. That's Take tough. ample vacations. That's and that tough. takes discipline, Is it tough? right? That That's takes tough. discipline because you can't just say one day I'm going to leave at 530 and because you have this pot, massive pile of work on your desk, depending on you know what you do. Um, but over time, if you practice not doing things, let's say, this, this, I'm just working from my choice, working on week, not working at night or on weekends. If you practice um, that, you actually wind up doing that and become more efficient, I found, overall, because I'm not kicking rocks during the day when I'm really not focused. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then the For other sh- part of that, though, is you got to give yourself a break. And I say that 80% of the time, if you're on mission 80% of the time, like you're disciplined enough you're practicing what you're putting in place which of course can always change your practice can always change but you should approach it every day right if you do this you're probably going to hit your mark 80 percent of the time and oh, here's another tie into what you're talking about 20 percent of the time it's all going to fall to shit yeah you know <laughs> it's all going to fall apart you can't control those clients or that outcome or that problem or that shipping mistake or can't I? whatever. <laughs> yeah, you can't, but you can't fix it at home either, usually, you know, and if you can go home to your, your, your partner, your kids, 
if you have no kids, your cat, your fish, whatever, <laughs> or just go for, I say, you know, don't think outside the box, just think outside, go for a walk, mm-hmm. you know, connect with who you are, you can come back to it fresher, because Unless you, unless you, you know, you you work in the ER. This, you know, this none of this works for if you're, if you're in the ER or you're dealing with life and death situations. Oops. Oops. Okay. Well, let's she accidentally hit the disconnect okay, button, so we'll, we'll just call her right back. She's done. You know. I'm sorry. Her, her day <laughs> is done taking now. her day off. Yeah. That's what she does. It's break time. <laughs> So we'll just grab her back here oh, in a second. Sorry, that was me. There she so is. My alarm went off. My alarm went off for something. I don't know what it is. <laughs> sorry, we went to a break. This is Blake okay. Rowe, everybody. Oh, there you go. <laughs> nice. Anyway, okay. And okay. back to Blake's wife, Sharon. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. Okay. <laughs> actually, actually, a good point about that is I set my alarm for almost everything. I set my alarm for when things start, when things end. Um, not for when things end, but when things start. And I have a right, you know, I have very specific practices that I do. Uh, to create the discipline that I want to bring to my business. Where did that come from? You know, that came from acting. How, how does that come from acting? acting. How, a lot how, of tie-in with creative process and acting, which is showing up time over time to do the thing that you want to do. And when I went to school at the O'Neill Center, they say it's the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center mm-hmm. in Waterford, Connecticut. They said, risk, fail, risk again. It's that practice over and over and over of just <laughs> falling apart, making a fool of yourself and sometimes hitting it that acting and, you know, training as a musician. Um, I'm pretty adept, although not as adept as my sister Ellen at improvising, but that's what you, it's a muscle really. Literally it's a muscle that you take on. Like I stood up <laughs> last year at a author's retreat and I said, I'm going to do stand up. And so I stood up and I did it and I didn't know what, I was doing, but I did it. <laughs> I was willing to completely fail. And that is such a tough, by the way, I tried that too. I stood up and did the open mic thing um, at a local comedy club. And for as much public speaking as I, as I do, I totally bombed. Mm. Right? Just totally, so totally, scary. totally <laughs> bombed. I didn't even invite anyone I knew to come watch because I knew I was going to bomb. But, <laughs> but the comment, however, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow on on your sort of a comment on advice. I tell people these days, I'm operating so far outside my comfort zone, I don't even know where the comfort zone is anymore, right? And so there's something very freeing and there's also something very restrictive and very scary about pushing yourself constantly like you get to the point where you're like i can't remember the last time i was comfortable yeah i totally agree and i think you have to practice doing that and every time i walk on stage i still get that knot in my stomach but i do it so do you still act in addition to your your oh yeah 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 no i'm I'm actually in a a web series right now that's shooting locally and i'm on the board of a theater company that i was with from the very beginning um and i I'm still a member of Screen Actors Guild, although it's on hold for like 30 years. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What's the series? What's the web series about? uh, It's about O Town. It's just a wacky kind of web series where I play a um, uh, sort of new agey kind of character, and it's about a mermaid. And I won't give away anything else. I'll I'll send you the links. I'll send everybody can watch it. We'll include Um, them in our show notes, everybody. Oh, fine. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, include in the show notes. That'd be great. Um, and I do a lot of speaking. So I just spoke in Flagstaff um, to the She-Wolves, which is a, a female collective of you know, entrepreneurs. And um, and I, I'm just getting all these different 
you know, invitations to speak, and that's an opening. I mean, I'm I'm willing to go to a lot of places to speak. In fact, in about eight weeks, I'll be in Reykjavik, and I'll be speaking there. Um, and Denmark, I'm looking at, um, I don't know. And people say, well, do you plan? Do you have, you know, PowerPoints? I'm like, I, I just don't like PowerPoint anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Less is more. <laughs> Let's tell stories, you know. Yeah, well, let's let's disconnect from the technology. When when you're up on stage, right, you want people to sort of listen to what you're saying as opposed to reading to what you're showing. Um, yeah. Boy, I agree. I agree with that. So yeah, I've noticed more and more when, when people start throwing up a lot of PowerPoints, um, everybody just goes to their own phone. They lose yeah. the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. People want stories. They want stories, and they want they want to be entertained, but they also really want to connect on where you failed. Yeah, you know, it's like like I always get asked, "When did you fail? What's your biggest failure?" And I have to think, "Oh, well, I've been failing like every day <laughs> <laughs> for the last twenty eight years." But the biggest one was when like the recession was coming, you know, and oh, the recession's coming. And we were doing great because we were post Oprah, sales were strong. I just added people. We moved to a new space. We were growing exponentially. We're on a a web platform. People were talking about reusable bags, which means a million competitors were in the space. I was wondering, yeah. Um, mm. But what I did was I addressed the recession like, oh, it'll just pass. It's a cloud. And I signed everybody up for yoga. <laughs> <laughs> and that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't, yoga didn't work? No, no, we got stretched out, but we got just, we got stretched out thin in terms of financially, so right. it didn't work. It was not the answer to a very big business bomb that was heading our way. Hmm. So, so what did you, how, how did you um, go from, um, I mean, I know the Oprah thing made a big impression, but uh, after that, how did you? I mean, do you have like a manufacturing facility that creates your bags, or where do your bags come from? And how many oh, people yeah. do you have working with you that do these bags? And are they little children in a warehouse somewhere, <laughs> sweating their <laughs> tiny Malaysia. balls off? <laughs> exactly. And they're yeah, little yeah. with their scissors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah fair question. Um, no, um, well, we do manufacture overseas. We manufacture in India, and we've been doing that for almost. 26 years now we've had fair wage and fair labor practices in the clean supply chain for 28 years congratulations don't that's a lot don't of know how yeah don't know how i even you know I, we, I, we were part of green america that was co-op america that's how they started so that's probably where all those concepts came from but we right out the gate we were like we are not going to solve a problem here by enslaving a population over there nice right we I just agree. knew it Mm-hmm. We just knew it. And we we were the first company to bring organic cotton bags uh, to the market in the U.S. Um, we were the we did organic cotton towels and all sorts of stuff. But we did it so early on that we abandoned those products. And now they're, you know, they're even in Target. I have no idea about their fair chain supply, but um, supply chain. But, yeah, that was always sort of baked into who we were. And that, again, goes back to being tiny, which is really intentional, that we won't sell crap. And we won't sell crap made by people who are not being fairly compensated. Right. You have to feel passionate and and confident and have, you know, a trust and a story behind everything that's in your space when you're tiny. Right. You know, it, yeah. that, that only makes sense. And you have to be willing to, at least for us, and the way I've structured this, because I wanted a lot of time not working, you have to be willing to make less, but make enough. 
Right. Yeah, but but over time, I mean, it's mentioned in your your online prop online story, so I'm I'm gonna, I feel comfortable saying it. you're making like you're netting a million dollars a year. Uh, our gross is around two, is what we say. We're privately held, so we always say our gross is around two. That's sort of an average. Okay. But you yeah. know, the, we, the, the government considers a small business anything under a hundred million. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, no, no. See, see, that's what? the thing. With small business is yeah. small business is a generic description mm-hmm. just for your for your revenue and for your employees. It doesn't it does not talk to the social component. I say, like a tiny business is about meeting your financial, your personal, so your wellness, and your um, social impact mm-hmm. goals. Nice. Because I feel like a business, and I know business can be a platform. Maybe this is where the acting really came in too. In fact, I know it does. Is, is your stage. It's where you get to make all the decisions about how you want to be in the world, who, who your vendors are. Um, you, don't, you can't decide who your customers are, but your customers come to you because of who the decisions you've made. It's kind of like walking into um, a boutique, right? Yeah, you, ma- you do. Oh. Sorry. You, you, do, you do decide the customers you get to interact with by virtue of everything you just said. They, right. Right. That, right. They, they choose you because they know that about you, your brand, yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, when you walk into a small store, or how it used to be when there were more stores to walk into, <laughs> um, everyone, you know, the owner had their personal touch on everything. Mm-hmm. Now we're seeing that the owner has their personal touch not on just the thing. Or the service, but where did it come from? How was it made? How was that connected to the people who made it? You know, we like to say from seed to sown. Seed and, to and sown, we, like like the seed in the ground. Like where was that seed planted? What? How was that soil nurtured all the way up to the sown thing? You know, what's the mm-hmm. connection mm-hmm. all along that supply chain? How transparent can you be? And if you're not transparent, I mean, if it's not a hundred percent where you want it to be, be transparent of where you're heading with it. Yeah. You know, and then what you see is you see really bigger brands who have way more marketing muscle out there really touting ideas that have been seeded by a lot of smaller companies for a while, yeah. like Patagonia and Eileen Fisher. Mm-hmm. These, these companies have much bigger platforms, so they can, they can catch these ideas and really expand on them mm-hmm. and then try to make them or work towards making them the norm. So speaking of the norm and the mainstream, what do you do to... Um keep up with the competition because there's there are a lot of companies out there that are making these kind of bags yeah uh, it's all for us it's just it's all about branding and staying true to who we are and um you know we say no to people who come in and want to just um you know the bottom feeders <laughs> we just we, we can't do those bags we can't do that job for you we'll tell you what we can do for you but we're not going to pick up those non-woven polypropylene bags and and do those because they're just junk anyway and they're going to fall apart hmm. and it's not going to be on mission i mean it's actually a really bad business approach from the old perspective you know let's pick a product that lasts <laughs> yeah you wouldn't let's, do good on shark tank right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah let's build something that's durable right that, that's sort of classic and doesn't go out of style. That's I mean, what I prefer. Mm-hmm. Well, I always heard in business you should pick something that you, you can either poop, poop, uh, spit, or something out. You know, it just has to right. has to go through your system fast. Right. Well, now we've come full circle. Right back to diapers <laughs> and sawdust <laughs> and buckets. And I meet people who come up to us. Like I was in, um, where was I? In Boulder. And I was uh, at a farmer's market having some lunch or whatever, sitting on a bench. And I looked over and there was a woman with a string bag. And I was like, oh, 
can I see the tag? Because <laughs> we're one of the only string bags. We do canvas bags too, and produce bags, and bread bags, and nut bags, and all sorts of you know. If it's if it can be replaced by something that's durable and reusable, we do it. By the way, I saw this woman with a bag, and I checked her um, her tag, and I said, "We made that." And she goes, "Oh wow, I've had this for like sixteen years." Wow, <sighs> that's great. Best customer ever. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, "That's amazing." And in writing this book, what's interesting is people are connecting with me and saying, I've had your bags for 20 years. Yeah. That's, I think that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think what you've done, Sharon, that's amazing is you baked in making the world a better place into your business model. Yeah. You didn't try to grow a multi-million dollar business, screw things up along the way, sell it, make a lot of money and then say, oh, now I'm going to do some philanthropy things. Right. You're you're making the world better. Right. And uh, yes. I mean, it's more about we than me. And I do think the you know two steps forward, five steps back, or whatever you want to do, because I think we have it screwed up. We we have to move back to what you were saying. We have to move our money to support the initiatives, um, in a rewarding environment. Um, and to do that, we have to put our money where our mouth is more and more. We have to get out of those toxic corporations, or we have to message them so strongly so that they change their um, behaviors. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, and like and you it's said, ha- and it's happening. It's actually happening, you know, but slowly. And like you said, that was so important too. But it's not about nonprofits. It's not about fundraising and grants and this and that. You're doing something that's scalable as long as your business keeps working and growing. Um, even if you're not aiming for to become a unicorn, you're still uh, able to sustain yourself. Exactly. So make a good living and a good impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. while they may not be, you know, made of, you know, the the quality of products that that you that you produce, the interesting thing t- to me is the recent trend of municipalities actually making the reusable bags, um, you know, charge. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we're not going to let you, um, you know, use the reusable plastic bags in in the major stores and these municipal. I would I was going to say that they're illegal. They make them illegal, but they don't make them <laughs> illegal. They just don't provide them anymore. Um, you right. know, and they charge you for a paper bag and and so would you have? I mean, imagine when you started this whole thing way back when when people weren't even thinking about that and now major grocery store chains are actually you know going to reusable bags that's a huge culture shift mm-hmm. that um yeah. huge yeah, yeah. that's well, huge whole foods, yeah whole foods was the first to do that and we were actually a big supplier if you've ever seen their big bags that say minus one we did all those wow um, yeah and uh you know it's the bag there should be bag fees, just like you said. I mean, we were there when they did it in Ireland, and Ireland is, what, like 85% cleaner now or something? I mean, because you have to look at, and we were also there in, in England, and then in, in San Francisco, and New York is taking so much time, but individual communities are stepping up and saying, we need to do this. And it's not just because it's some touchy-feely, let's, let's you know clean up the planet thing. It's like, because it's costing them money. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of money being spent on running those recycling centers and doing all the waste cleanup. And China doesn't want our shit anymore. Back to the <laughs> shit. They don't want it. Put it in a diaper. So, you know, typical American approach again. We get to the ledge. It's the last step we can take. And now, you know, and mm-hmm. also we have to put, we have to throw the, um, the focus back onto the the brands that are making the mess there's actually an app called literati 
um, L-I-T-T-E-R-A-T-I that my friend Jeff Kirshner has created. And you can geotag litter and then it will be going to a database with what it is and you can create data-driven reports that will show how much of the garbage comes from different brands to get them involved in the idea of, um, you know, cradle to grave. Oh, that's interesting. All right, well, Sharon, yeah. We're, yeah. we're running out of time here. There's a lot here. going on. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on. So um, yeah. we're going to have to say goodbye. Oh, no, this and, is fun. <laughs> and here comes your husband. Hey, listeners, go to iTunes and look up Piano Meditations Podcast by Blake Rowe. <laughs> That's great. It's beautiful. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Got to get back on the high, top, uh, the high energy. Okay, okay. Um, not you, but us. <laughs> um, thank you so much for listening. We're going to kind of have another great show next week, and uh, we appreciate you coming online. And if you have a chance, leave us a, um, a uh, review on iTunes. Um, check out our Facebook page. Yep. And We're getting new members every week. Are we really? Awesome. Yeah, getting some commentary, too. That's fun. That's, That's always fun. Yeah. Can I pitch my book? <laughs> I thought we did. Sure, go pitch, ahead. Pitch, yeah. pitch. Pitch again. Okay, I, just want, at the very, I just feel like I didn't say, say yes. Yeah, so it's available on Amazon. The Magic of Tiny Business. There awesome. you go. Awesome. Help me get that to the top of the charts. I'll I get, will buy two copies for my tiny house Airbnb library. Great idea, Michelle. Ooh, that's yeah, a great that's idea. Point. I put, I put uh, any time that I, you know, come across someone that's written a book, um, you know, either interview them or my friends or whatever. So, yeah, most of my library has actually been autographed as well. I will, I will commit to buying wow. at least two copies. Nice. Well, I can send you a signed thing that you put Ooh. in the book. So, Ooh. oh, that'd be cool. Make it too. Called a book plate or something. Yeah. yeah. Oh, fun. Yeah. Oh, fun. Let's just see. Hey, Alexa, how much is the book The Magic of Tiny Business? Okay. And just so you know, I present the products and prices you'd find on Amazon yourself. Taxes and credits will be added after you confirm the order. The never top mind. search result oh, for book The Magic of Tiny Alexa, Business. Alexa, never mind. Alexa, we don't need that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. You should have said, order him 100 copies. Exactly. <laughs> 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 ordered it faster than your <laughs> <laughs> answer. <laughs> the whole two-click Amazon yeah, thing. Then, yeah. <laughs> All right, you guys. Talk to you next week. Namaste. If you're not on the edge, you're taking up too much space. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if you remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sightcast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. <laughs>